0: Let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts. Welcome to Opinions, and we're back in your ears once again. We have beer in the glass, and we're ready to go, aren't we, Martin?
1: We are, and um, the, uh, the beer in the glass is looking very inviting, but I don't think we can dive into it yet until we uh, say hello to our guests. Welcome, Combi. Hi there, gents. How are things? Not too bad. Thank you for joining us. And uh, for anyone who's not, sh- not sure, Combi's from Round Corner and has very kindly uh, supplied the beers for tonight. First beer, Steeplechase Pale Ale. Should we dive in?
0: Yeah, let's have a taste and then Combi can tell us all about it. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, gents. Cheers. Cheers.
2: Yeah, so it's a kind of a, a, a pale ale, um, one of our original lineup of beers. So we kind of started with a core of kind of f- five beers, actually. Uh, and this is one of the first out of the tank. Uh, kind of quite simply, it's it's our kind of ode to Sierra Nevada. So kind of uh, Colin Page, who's the other co-founder of me around Corner Brewing, we're of a certain uh, age, uh, and uh, we've been drinking and, and making craft beer for a long, long time uh, all, all around the world. And, and probably like a lot of people who love beer, you know, one of our first experiences of a great tasting hoppy beer was Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. And uh just a stunning beer. And so we brewed steeple chase to be a kind of very accessible. It's 4.4%. It's got a mixture of uh, representing our own influences, New Zealand and and uh, uh, Pacific hops, um uh you know, really balanced level of, of bitterness, um, you know, color nice and golden, you know, in some people's minds that's more than golden, etc. And oftentimes you know, you get kind of weird comments where people see a slightly darker pale ale and they assume there's a kind of maltier component to it. But like, it's just really nice, balanced uh, 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 pale ale. And we sell a lot of this beer, a lot of it in draft in particular, in our tap room uh, and in and around us, because, you know, just nicely accessible beer, very balanced and, and uh, you know, uh, an ABV that that, that that, you know, won't drive you crazy and we just love it. We, we drink a lot of it ourselves.
1: Sorry, I was just going to say that's always a good endorsement when someone says that, isn't it?
2: Yeah. It, it,
0: the ultimate endorsement, if you're willing <laughs> and want to drink it yourself, yes, definitely. Can, can i just say that i think you might have understated it a little bit when you said about the hops mm. the, the list of hops on the side of the can that have gone <laughs> yeah. into this yeah. uh rakau matueka citra amarillo mosaic simcoe and cascade yeah you didn't, didn't really scrimp on those there did you
2: no no and uh, you know we 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 figure when we're making a beer uh, we're going to do it properly our, our kind of definition of craft is the pursuit of perfection and kind of by that we mean if we're going to produce a beer we want it to be the best example of that beer in the world um uh, uh, you know and so for us it's not about just necessarily throwing ingredients at something it's uh, you know choosing the right balanced ingredients uh you know kind of how assembling the best team the best equipment all of those types of things that 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 we can do to produce the best example of that beer that that we possibly can and constantly refine it. And if that, you know, in our mind, if the beer calls for, you know, a great hop bill, in this case, as you say, a kind of mixture of a couple of Kiwi hops and a whole bunch of Pacific hops, we're gonna do it. And uh, uh, yeah, we think it shows and it's just a really nice balanced beer. You know, we'll sometimes do the exact opposite. We, this year we're doing a whole series of single hopped beers uh so we we'll go the other route and and uh, you know there's always a risk that you'll get a very clear flavor of that single hop sometimes might be a bit you know in people's minds one's dimensional but we just like experimenting because if we do truly believe that you know craft is about the pursuit of perfection and, and, and you know constantly improving then you've got to try everything so it's probably reflected generally and we have a huge spectrum of beer so our kind of view is it is a bit weird in the UK. We have brewing backgrounds in New Zealand, Australia and Asia, etc. It's quite IPA focused in the UK. Quite juicy IPA focused as well. Um, and for us, we just like brewing everything from, you know, straightforward crisp Helles lagers to, you know, very deep uh, uh, porters and stouts and all the way to an Imperials, etc. So, uh, you know, we, we, we like pursuing a variety of styles, but there's nothing beats a, a nice pale ale on a on a sunny day.
0: Can, can I just say how refreshing it is as well to to see a four point four percent parallel that's actually called a parallel and not a session IPA? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it do you know what it is funny? It it's it's
2: um you did trigger a memory because we do a um we do a session IPA called Drover's, which sells really, really well. Uh so it's kind of juicy, etc. But we originally launched that as a, a summer ale, and certainly in in places like New Zealand or Australia, there is a concept of summer ales, and people know exactly what they are. When you come to the UK, it's a, it's a, it's a phrase that's more associated with the cask ale market probably than the craft beer, and people really didn't know what to make of it. So we took almost the identical liquid, uh, uh, mainly lemon drop hopped. You know, it's a beautiful kind of tartness to it, and. Um, And we said, you know, it just didn't sell that well outside our own tap room. sold really well, just didn't really sell anywhere else. We slightly altered the hop components a little bit, but it was essentially the same beer, called it Session IPA. Bloody went through the roof. (laughs) I was like, I'm going like, you know what? I give up a little bit. (laughs) It's a great beer, but it always was a great beer. It just so happened that uh, we didn't call it a Session IPA. So. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. I. 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 I have views on. Um, I suppose the the practicality of what you have to call a beer in order for it to get noticed in, in
1: these markets. What's your fault, Steve? On it? It's. It's delicious.
0: It. 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 it literally, it does. It's. It's exactly what you expect it to be. Um. It's got there's there's a little bit of a malt profile going on in there that just underpins all of those hops that are just playing together so so well you get this sort of like lovely sort of like citrus light pithiness in the middle and then you do get a really light bit of finish on it and it's it's that it's the sort of bit of finish that's actually really refreshing as 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 well it does it, it does and it does draw you back in for another sip as well
1: mm. yeah i can definitely see the the nod to Sierra Nevada pale ale with the balance um making it the 4.4% obviously does make it more accessible than perhaps necking six <laughs> Sierra Nevada pale ales, Mm-mm. which I'm sure we've all done in the past at some point and Mm-mm. have paid for it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is incredibly well balanced. And I can definitely, this is definitely a, a, a bee you could um, drink in pints. And I imagine at your tap room, it would go down very well in that format being yeah. pulled off the draft line. Um, I mean, interestingly, I don't know. Can't remember if we've mentioned it yet or not. Um, three thirty cans as well, Steve. I, I know it's. Uh, I can't actually remember the last time we featured three thirty ml cans on the show. I'm. I am really struggling. Um, well, I think we've had a few three thirty bottles, perhaps, but can wise, can't remember. It's been ages. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Is is that is is that purposeful, Combi? That you've you've gone for the three thirties over the four forties. Yeah,
2: yeah, I think um as I said because we kind of um were a bit long in the tooth in terms of kind of craft beer around the world and stuff like that we kind of tend to not follow you know current trends. We kind of in our own minds make up our own mind about what you know what beers we want to make that we think will work well and you know we listen to to our clients etc but also the formats and stuff like that and we like three thirties. We find it keeps the beer fresh, uh, uh, you know, for longer. You're getting through them. Um, the price point, uh, you know, in our mind, we're all about accessibility of beer, and accessibility of beer comes not only from, I don't a branding which we believe is very strong. We win a lot of awards for our branding, but like it's 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 not designed to be exclusive or put people off. The liquid itself is designed to be, you know, for trying to produce the best example of a beer in the world. It's got to be kind of, uh, uh, you know, sessionable, accessible, you know, very easy to drink. And then we think 330s are part of that is it can come at a price point where it's not going to break the bank for someone to buy that, buy that beer and, and enjoy it. Uh, and, you know, if they like that beer to have more, because in addition to kind of, I don't know, uh, craft as the pursuit of, of, of perfection, we definitely have a view that we want to be known uh, as people who, gr- who produce great sessionable beers. So yeah, generally, if you've got a beer that's wholly leveraged off volume, that's a tough market to be in, you know, as the major lager producers would know. Because uh, as just, you know, 40% less volume of beer is sold in the country than it would have been at the height of 1996 was the, the height of uh, 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 beer sales in the UK. Um, so as a result of that, though, kind of a lot of people we feel have gone the, almost the opposite direction is introducing, say, flavour profiles that are very striking for the first sip or two uh, and then actually after that you might struggle to make your way through the whole uh, uh, shebang and in our minds even if we're producing a bigger beer we want people to really enjoy the whole experience of that beer and ideally order another so if someone is having three or four beers in a night you know through the spectrum of beers we have through the accessibility of beers we have through 330s as opposed to other formats we 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 would like as many of those beers as possible to be ours so you know the, the, there's some of the thinking that that's behind it but you know certainly from from our point of view uh 330s work for our for our beers we believe right now but we've done 440s it's a kind of weird world of as an example once you're down whatever route you are 330s or 440s it's quite difficult to mix those formats because your mixed packs suddenly become weird of 440s and 330s and gaps in boxes and stuff like this so you tend to have to make big decisions um but you know you'll see a lot of people who have their core range or maybe their supermarket range in 330s and then they'll have their uh, you know more craft range in 440s etc but um yeah i'm sure we'll come on to it later with society i have big views on the bigger the beer the more it should
0: be in a 330 that's where i do have religion but We can come on to that later. Yeah, we'll we'll put we'll, we'll put a pin in that one, and and we'll come mm. back to that. Now, now, Combi, you've you've mentioned a couple of times that that you're a little bit long in the tooth, and and, and you're quite well travelled. Um, so, so tell us about your your, your journey into in, into beer and to into setting up Round Corner.
2: Yeah, so um, I've always liked beer growing up in Ireland. Everyone, you know, Guinness is what you first drink, and then you kind of move on from there, etc. Um. And so I moved to the UK when I was young and kind of worked away in, in, in the city, etc. But I always had a love of beer. I, I met a Kiwi uh, a, a woman who's now my wife. And, and uh, we decided to leave the UK and move to New Zealand in, in the early 2000s. And then I kind of had this crazy-ass notion that I was going to buy a brewery. So this is 2004. Uh, so I moved to New Zealand in the search of buying a brewery, uh, a, a craft brewery over there. And... I didn't end up buying it because I had no money. I was just deluded, right? But uh, uh, my delusion led me to uh, the guy who I've set up round corner with, Colin Page, because uh, I visited every craft brewery in New Zealand, who, which um, definitely, you know, was and is probably a step ahead of the UK craft beer scene, just in terms of its 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 um, uh, level of kind of. Uh, uh, craft beer as a proportion of overall beer sales and and some of those elements. But I met Colin, uh, who was running the biggest kind of uh, craft brewery in in the country at the time. Uh, And he's a fellow Irishman, studied in Harriet Watt in Edinburgh and um, came out of there and worked for a a few independent breweries. But really, there was no independent or craft beer scene for him to chase. This would have been in the, you know, kind of uh, uh, late 90s. So he moved over to uh, Australia, New Zealand, and that's where he's been for the last twenty years. And so we really hit it off. And then um, we nearly built a brewery in. This is where it sounds a bit batshit, but actually it did happen. And it's like we nearly built one in New Zealand. We nearly built a brewery in Vietnam and in Cambodia, and we were kind of chasing all sorts of crazy stuff of where we build our our our, our brewery. Um, and then we forgot about it for a while. He moved to Australia to run a, a, a brewery called Stone & Wood out of Queensland. Uh, and I, I moved back to the UK and just went back into my city job. But uh, about seven years ago, uh, another friend and I got involved in kind of thinking about a world beyond just the day-to-day nine-to-five job. And, and uh, uh, one thing led to another. And we ended up uh, buying a livestock market in the wonderful East Midlands town of Melton Mowbray. Uh, and um, it's still a massively live and vibrant uh, uh, livestock market. So on a Tuesday, you'll get 6,000 sheep all milling around our brewery. And on Wednesday, it's 1,000 head of cattle. It's, it's a crazy place. And there's also huge amounts of food fairs and festivals, and it's just a the most amazing sight. I, you know, I, I have not seen a sight like it, uh, 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 just in terms of the stuff that goes on and how unique it is. And so... Looking at all of those elements of Melton Mowbray itself is a town that has, um, uh, it's the only town in the UK that has two designated origin products. So, I don't know if you could, gents could name them. This is my test always for people of Melton Mowbray. What two food products can only come from Melton
0: Mowbray? It's
2: definitely a pork pie. Pork pie is number one, yeah. And I'm
0: the next stro- one
1: is struggling with number two. Then.
0: Isn't not don't they also do a cheese?
1: They do, Stilton.
0: Yeah, I was Stilton. I was I was gonna say Stilton, but it just yeah. sounded like it was so wrong. Yeah, <laughs> but Surely Stiltons a, from a place called Stilton?
2: <laughs> there is a town called Stilton, but Stilton cannot come from Stilton. It can only come from uh, the the areas in and around Melton Mowbray. So it's the borders of Leicestershire, Nottinghamshire, and uh, 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 yeah, I think that's it. So they all the kind of cheese makers are in around it. So it's called the rural capital of food. So it's amazing food heritage, but actually no brewing heritage. To really speak of <laughs> uh, uh, and and as a result of that generally we got excited uh, i got excited about mm-hmm. I, you know and this took me a year or two of only, uh, getting involved with this melton mowbray thing to think we could set up a brewery here and so i ran colin in australia and i got him to hot foot uh, well he didn't hot foot it over he said oh yeah I'll, I'll help you set it up and you know we we're going to do some sort of lifestyle very small thing and stuff like that and then one thing led to another and I think he started to get excited about it um, and uh, yeah he just said all right I'm coming home to, to to get involved in this and so we built a 20 heck a uh, uh, European style brew house uh, we raised a whole bunch of money to do that so our kind of intention around this definition of craft that we've gone through is 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 to do things really well and properly so you know we built a state-of-the-art brewery Initially, with four uh, fermentation vessels, now of six, constantly expanding, initially all into keg and cask. And that was the case right up until when COVID hit. So, we our first beers came out in December 2018. Uh, and we were really about pubs up until then. And it had really started motoring for us after a predictably slow start for the first year or so. It really started motoring for us. And then, you know, COVID hit. And, uh, we thought, oh, my God, uh, we had a brewery full of kegs, mainly. And uh, uh, I thought, oh, you know, we're done for here. But we weren't. Uh, we kind of managed to pivot, as as a lot of small brewers did, into to doing all sorts of things. And, and uh, you know, we've uh, gone from relative strength to strength, uh, you know, through all the pivots we've had to take. Um, but, uh, well, uh, you, your viewers can't see it, but I'll, I'll, I'll show you. the the vessel that saved us that I get very emotional when I think about it, but uh, what I'm holding up is a growler, three and one third, 64 fluid ounce, US style moonshine jug. And so it was into these vessels that we decanted all our keg beer to order to 650 households around Melton Mowbray. And we just delivered these nonstop uh, through March, April, and May of 2020 just hundreds and hundreds of orders, so we became a beer milk service in a in a ridiculously busy, crazy way, which wasn't very profitable, but was enormously affirming for us as a business in terms of having a, a supporter group. And so, those that that little growler saved us, uh, and you know, we, allowed us then to kind of uh, get into the world of canning more of our beer and developing then beyond our traditional focus on pubs into. You know, stores into you know particularly online, which it all, we'd always had a bit of, etc., and all, all the traditional things. So yes, it's it's been an interesting journey setting up a brewery that's
0: you've been going three years now. So, so as a result of those growlers, did you end up wasting very little beer then? Were you were you able to save <laughs> yeah. most of the beer that you had in in in, in kegs?
2: Yeah, we, we threw away zero beer and we were Brilliant. a bit shocked ourselves. Uh, we got through the beer that we had and started brewing again after about a month. So it was, we just rinsed them. They, You know, uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of three and one third pint orders every week. Uh, it quickly gets through a lot of beer.
0: <laughs> and assume, assuming that was people obviously returning those growlers for yeah oh, mul- enor- multiple use
2: it's enormously environmentally friendly because uh it, it is a milk service in the sense of uh, what someone does is they buy the growler and the fills off us awesome. and once you buy the growler you just return your old one and you know the, the, the growler just gets recycled so we had at the start of that these growlers we bring them over from kansas um and uh We had 800 of them out there in the wild because it was always the way that people got takeout beer out of the brewery. So we were very community centric. So people didn't buy cans. They bought growlers of of our beer and got them filled at the brewery. So we had a fair amount of them out there in the market. But we just so happened that a couple of pallets of these growlers arrived in early March and it was just a lifesaver. If they weren't there, we would have had nothing, no vessels to put anything in. And so you just recycle them. And so we immediately, when it started motoring, put in the order. And of course, it takes three months to come from Kansas. By the time the next lot of growlers had arrived, they, you know, the lockdown was over, et cetera. But we, we were days where we were just hunting down growlers as well as everything else and trying to recycle them through. But out of 1600 growlers, we served hundreds and hundreds of people every week, just constantly washing and filling and washing and filling. And it was them. Um, yeah, yeah, it, hard work but uh,
1: uh, rewarding in its own way. You must have um, probably increased your footprint around the area, wouldn't you, with that as well? Yeah, as an un- un- unintended consequence.
2: Yeah, big time. Like, I don't think I. I think we thought we knew everyone in our community um, that there was to be known because our tap room was quite successful uh, uh, up until that point. So probably around 40 to 45% of our beer was sold through our own taproom. So we've always had a very big direct-to-market uh, focus for our brewery. So we thought we knew everyone, but boy, did we not. <laughs> you know, when you, when, you, when you have like 600 people demanding beer, and, and that's, for us, been enormously, because that has not continued. You know, the, we do not have 600 people now getting growlers of, of beer from us every week. But all of those 600 people very fondly remember us and what we did for them. And a lot of those people come to our tap room, you know, every week and everywhere, you know, as often as they can do. So it's, uh, yeah, we have a a, a a much bigger community footprint than than we ever thought. And we start doing things differently now. As For instance, like, um, you know, we would do a lot of social media and all the things. And we have a website, a web shop that we sell a fair amount of beer from. But, like, I'm sure there's not that many breweries that, you know... I and lots of the team would go around delivering flyers at Christmas because we want people in the community to know we're there. So we would have done like oh, not, not 10 11,000 flyers through people's doors in our community just to make sure that they know there's a brewery there. Um, uh, it, we probably only realised through the pandemic how important uh, um, community support is you know so our definition of community
0: is very geographic it's great to hear that what what you've done dur- during this period of time is 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 that you've you've obviously you've ridden the storm a little bit but mm. also you've managed to create this amazing sense of community mm. in 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 the place where you're based that those people are now coming back and essentially rewarding you for your service during lockdown that's that's mm. so good to hear
2: yeah well it's it, it's um
0: you know we, we spend a lot of time with other brewers
2: you know so we definitely have a brewing community and we've got our geographic community but we know when things rain down you know and, and it was things it was our geographic community that needed us most and that we needed most and and, and as a result of that um yeah it was uh it, 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 we're very conscious of that and as an example we've just, um, like most breweries we have a big tap room and we service that for food uh, through street food vendors a lot but we've just decided that we will build our own offering in addition to running street food vendors um and so kind of as a result of that um yeah, we kind of built a pizza uh, restaurant that we just launched this week but we built that not with you know, we we brought in a pizza consultant from Italy and all the type of things to help us make sure that the pizzas themselves were good. But the actual pizza kitchen was built by volunteers from our tap room. I, like I don't know any other industry where people would willingly give their time, and they give a lot of time to build you. And we're a, we're a, you know business with shareholders a tap room because they love you and they want you to succeed and all these types of things. Uh, so, you know, we feel a bit emotional and grateful about that. Like, so, we, you know, we'll never forget them. And uh, I hope it's vice versa. And and our intentions are not purely about being in, in our community and that's it. You know, we want to, you know, uh, uh, brew some of the best beers in the world and clearly be seen for that and for those beers to to travel a long way. But, you know, in our mind, we've got a very clear sense. We tell a lot of stories in the beers that we distribute and on the cans that we have. And one of the intentions of those stories is to bring people to our to our uh, our brewery and our tap room and to um, create a, a you know a pilgrimage a pace of pil- pilgrimage to beer to good beer and and you know having such an iconic site and great people who want to welcome people from all around the world is is for us important so you know we, we have a very clear vision of what we want to be and who we want to appeal to and what we want them to do wherever in the world they're drinking our beers. Uh and one of those things is to go bloody hell, I must go to this Melton Mowbray livestock market, eat a pork pie, have some stilton and and uh and drink a lot of hopping Spree, <laughs> as an example. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm not I'm not
0: sure about you Martin, but I I've absolutely as as Combi's talking about it there, I've literally fallen in love with the place without even ever having visited. <laughs> and and now all I want to do is is find my first available weekend to come and, <laughs> and and spend the day just sat at your tap room. It just sounds like the most amazing space, environment, and atmosphere that you could have possibly created.
2: Yeah. And I like um it's it's not flash, right? But it's like 20 acres. It's a big site. And uh, we have on one side a huge open uh, uh, space that's a bit of a sun trap. And then the other side, we've got acres and acres of covered sheds. Uh, um, and so we are in the most ridiculously privileged position that whether it's raining or whether it's sunny, we've got places that we can stick as many people as want to come there, as many people as we can buy seats for. Uh, And it's just a, a, you know, a a, a very privileged position. It's not a lucky position because we deliberately chose the place because we thought that that was something that we could do. Um, And and I think like Melton is not any different to other. So the word market town automatically, it was where that phrase comes from is a livestock market. That's where originally the town charter indicates that there was a livestock market in whatever town is called a market town. Most of them have disappeared over the years. Vast, vast majority. There's only 100 markets left in the country. Um, And and most of those are out of town because the logistics make it easier for bringing animals on and off. So Melton is really unusual that it's a proper old school rural service town and it's got its market in the centre. And we've got a huge farmer's market, which is not a creation of the last 10 years with people, you know, who've gotten the bug for, uh, you know, whether it's street food or whatever, these businesses have been there for 50 or a hundred years selling their pork pies or their, uh, uh, you know, there's three or four butchers and a fishmongers and a cheese. Uh, and so it's just this amazing weird place that we would love more and more people to come in, uh, and see. And so, you know, even to the extent that we, we we've thought about the world even beyond the brewery. If, if, you know, we don't see ourselves as natural owners of pubs or anything like that. Uh, you know, we want to run a brewery and, and a tap room, but we've always had this concept of called the Melton embassy of taking maybe our beer and some of the other products from Melton Mowbray. And you've been able to transfer those into little kiosks or whatever, where you could sell that little piece of Melton Mowbray, whether it's cakes or things and stuff like that. And then maybe one day we'll do something of like that with our, with our, with our partners. So it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely town, not a flash town by any stretch of the imagination. And so there's a little bit of a regeneration exercise that we get a lot of support from our council in, in, in getting involved in. And this is not unique to Round Corner. There's many other breweries that, you know, would have very similar community promotion aspects of their business. And breweries around the world have, you know, some magnificent ones have you know, well-noted community regeneration aspects to their businesses. And we love it, you know, so to give someone a product that they can be proud of and that they want to ship to their friends or that they want their friends to come into Melton Mowbray to drink that product and say, this is one of the best in the world. Like it gives us a a sense of buzz. It gives them a sense of buzz in a town that, you know, oftentimes when I first arrived, uh, people would use very derogatory language about probably still would do in, in the parts, but, I know what that town's capable of, and I choose to, along with Colin, utilize our brewery for selfishly for our own benefit at times, but in association with all these people to promote that town. You know, and and I I just know that both entities will win on on that basis. So yes, please come. (laughs) We have tons of festivals. So as as an example, and then I'll finish about that. Is um four of the biggest food festivals in the country happen on our site. So there's the pork pie festival. Uh, there's the Melton Mowbray Chocolate Festival, uh, the Melton Mowbray Cheese Festival, the end of next month. That's back on, the biggest cheese festival in the country. Uh, and then the Melton Mowbray Food Festival, which is the New York Times top five um, uh, food festivals in the world. Uh, and it's a stunning food festival, 14,000 people. You can imagine how much they drink at that. Mm-hmm. So we like that. Uh, and this year, we've got the National Patong Championships uh, on site. And then I hope the World Quizzing Championships were working on that. So we like all these. The crazier, the the better, to be
0: honest with you. (laughs) To to be fair, you had me at pork pie. Yeah, I was going to say. Pork
1: pork pie and cheese. And um, an apology to any listener who's uh, tuning in and hasn't had a bite to eat. (laughs) Um, You mentioned hopping spree Mm. a couple of of moments ago, which uh, uh, me and Steve have already cracked open because... Mm. um, the 3.30 steeplechase evaporated in the glass fairly promptly. <laughs> um, it was we just do have so a
0: problem with that on this show, don't we? We do, we do. Evaporation, um, yeah. But yeah. Was, yeah.
1: Top so, so drinkable, that steeplechase. <laughs> yeah. um, cracked open the West Coast IPA, Hobbit mm. Spree. Um, now, I notice you've obviously got a bit cheaper on this one. You've only used six hocks.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, it's a, yeah, It's a disgrace, yeah.
1: really, only using six. <laughs> so we've got Centennial, Cascade, Amarillo, Simcoe, Mosaic, and Citra. Yes. I mean, I'm not sure I could have listed any other hops I would have wanted in there anyway.
2: There you go. Well, all complimentary. Yeah. um, Yeah, so, I mean, what it is, it's a West Coast IPA, a kind of style in our minds that's still a bit underbrewed and underappreciated, uh, you know, versus its kind of juicier, more sugar-laden cousins in the New England IPA category but it's just a beer style we love. Like, a, a, you know, and this beer is 6.6% ABV, um, you know, kind of very crisp. It, we started it actually as a filtered beer. So we pursue whatever we believe is best for that style, we'll produce. So we try and not have religion about either brewing techniques or whatever technology we can bring. So we would have filtered this beer quite a bit at the start and, and thought that that was nice for style. Then we stopped filtering it and really, but you still get a very clear liquid uh you'll notice a lot of people yet again if we talk about that malt backbone in there they'll kind of see the color and they'll kind of refer a certain maltiness to it and it does that uh, but in our mind that's quite a balanced uh, level of beer this is three times european champion so it's uh, won the gold medal at the european beer challenge uh, uh one of the biggest beer competitions in europe uh, three times it's taken home a gold. just most recently this last week And if we have brewers that tend to come, we we get a lot of brewers because we're right in the center of the country. They come through. They drink this. Brewers do not tend to drink other people's Nipahs or their Imperial Stouts or those types of things. But if they can find a good lager or a good pale ale or, you know, good classic West Coast IPA, you know, something that's, you know, that's got a kind of level of nuance to it, etc., they'll do that. So yeah, you, you certainly have brewers that come and try and drink us dry of hopping spree in in pints. Uh, and uh, yeah, and it was the first beer we ever produced. Uh, so I'm sitting here in Wimbledon and the first ever keg was here in my house that Colin uh, uh, brewed and brought down here and we cracked it open and it, it it was stunning then and it's still stunning now. And to be three times European champion, there's something special about it.
1: Uh, this is one of the ones I've had before uh, a couple of times in the cans, and you can see the relationship between that and the steeplechase, chase, especially with some of the the same hops, yeah. the 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 malt multi backbone, but it's not overpowering at all. There isn't yeah. too much of that sweetness. There isn't too much as maybe some caramel and stuff like that coming out. Um the bitterness level has gone up a little bit. Yeah. The balance is still there. It's definitely got a drinkability about it again. Mm-hmm. And I I sense from what you're saying, Con that balance, drinkability, accessibility is you know, some key words that you want to always illustrate in your beers and stuff. Hmm. I think it's a superbly drinkable beer. And, you know, I would joke with you and say, "oh I wish that was in 440. <laughs> but actually, because I can pour just a one can into a nice glass and it comes up to, you know, maybe two fingers from the top and then a bit yeah. of a, a bit of a foamy head... It is working really well, and it does mean I'm going to be drinking it while it's still chilled all the way through. Mm. Um, Steve, what I mean, I'm going to guess that you're enjoying this.
0: I'm I'm loving it. I I'm not going to add anything to to what you've said there. I, I I agree with everything you said there. The right down to the size of the can being absolutely perfect for for this beer. It's one that. I would very happily have a stock of this in in my fridge and and, and just reach for it as almost as like a fridge filler, and you, you know because it's so easy to drink.
2: Yeah, and in general, you, you kind of you hit the nail on the head in terms of what we aim for is is drinkability. You know, we, we really love it, and you know we, we produce a lot of Nipahs, You know, no doubt about it. We do a session IPA, a Vermont Hazy Session IPA. We do we do a four forty can of Nipah. like. Probably our most popular beer, uh, in terms of what people vote for, uh, is our Donkey Jacket, seven point two percent New England IPA. But there's something magical to, to our mind about, uh, um, you know, West Coast IPAs and classic and that kind of balanced bitterness. And yeah, uh, you know, I wouldn't bet on anything because, you know, I'm done having either optimism or predictions or whatever it might be. But I think there's still. You know, the day of the West Coast IPA still has to come because it's just a superb style, uh, you know, very drinkable, nice level of, of bitterness that makes it, you know, a good accompaniment with food as well as drinking by itself. And we think a lot about food as well, like a huge amount of because of where we come from. Um, yeah, we, we like that style. And so, yeah, like we think we'll just sell more and more and more of this beer and that's fine by us. We love
1: it. Well, the bitterness builds on this beer as well. The more mm-hmm. you get into it, it does build. And I think you're right about the West Coast IPA. We went obviously all crazy with the IBU levels years ago. Yep. Then it all started to die down. And I think that's probably where the the counter, the counter counterculture for the NIPAs sprung mm-hmm. from. As the, well, look, you can't keep on doing this. We've got to go completely the other way. And now I feel like the West Coast IPAs and some of the ones that have been coming out recently, you know, Oregon Trail from Elusive, Big Eagle from Brew York, to name two of them, where you're starting to now get that balance, that marriage between the malt and the hops, some bitterness, yeah. the fruit flavors. And all of those, those two beers plus your one are so drinkable. And, mm. you know, there are some beers that I used to love that were in that category and they seem to have lost their way with the style. Whereas yeah. I feel like some of the newer breweries, they're really starting to nail what I love, and what I consider to be the classic version and the well-balanced drinkable version of the west coast ipa um although i've just looked at my glass again and there's a lot of it gone
0: <laughs> i don't know what's I, going on
1: uh, and i think you and i should should
0: maybe just let combi catch up uh a, a little <laughs> bit with the drinks and and just cover off a couple of news items while, while, while combi is, is is catching up so um first up this week uh was and and this uh, this this news broke a couple of months back, but it only seems to have made it to the light of day recently. And and this was that um, Diageo are calling last orders on Hop House Thirteen in in Great Britain. So they're they're, they're basically delisting it all over the UK. Uh, will no longer be uh, available in supermarkets, pubs or bars. It will continue to be sold in Ireland, Northern Ireland, and, and other markets. But they've they've decided that basically the sales of it absolutely slumped during the pandemic. I think as people started, as as we were saying earlier with 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 Round Corner, I think maybe people started shopping local and, and, and started looking to support their independence. And as a result of that, they were finding new and maybe more exciting and more tasty beers um yeah absolutely absolutely slumped it lost 8.7 percent of its value over 52 weeks uh to the 5th of september last year uh and it will no but no longer be available and they're they're just going to focus on
1: um supplying guinness to the uk from this point forward i think that makes sense because i mean quite a few of the pubs in the city um had started to take hop house 13 on And I know that people at work would say, oh, you've tried that new new lager from Guinness and that, you know, and people were picking up on the brand of it, that kind of stuff. But I think without it being in bars and pubs that Guinness had access to, I don't think anyone would have thought about buying it from the supermarket, for example, because I think you'll go one of two ways. You'd either go for some of the new wave of beers that were hitting the supermarkets, which let's face it, over the 12 months, greatly increased or you'll go for those staples that you've known for a lot longer, of which there are plenty of those still to choose from as well. I don't think I'd ever think of Hop House 13. If I was going to someone's place for some socially distanced drinks outside, and I knew there were macro lager drinkers, I probably still wouldn't pick up Hop House 13.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Um,
2: nothing else to say about that, really. The, the only thing I'd add from an Irish perspective, right, so I'll give you this, is obviously this has happened before, so... Growing up in Ireland, you would have Harp Lager, which was the earlier Guinness attempt to to bring lager to the world. And, like, you know, the, the kind of, the black stuff is so rooted in their souls that there's always a bit of a struggle across, you know, whether it's Guinness or Smithwick's or some of these other roots and kind of how much love they can show them and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, and the lager world is very different. I mean, as an independent brewer, all of us look at Peroni with a mix of kind of, horror and admiration (laughs) about how much they can sell and for what price and you're just thinking oh christ yeah it's 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 horrible in some ways and just magnificently impressive in other ways. They kind of, uh, yeah, it's not the easiest space, but, uh, you know, people like Peroni have clearly nailed it. Uh,
0: moving on to slightly more positive news then. Elusive Brewing are turning five this year. And, and I, for one, firstly want to say, where the hell has those five years gone? Um, because I still feel like I can remember the, the first commercial beer that Andy put out. But um, what they're going to do is they're going to celebrate this in two ways. So first of all, they're going to do, uh, as, as this seems to have become tradition, certainly this year at least, they're going to do some collaboration beers. They're going to do five collaboration beers to to celebrate turning five. So they're going to work with Marble, Double Barrelled, Siren, Weird Beard and the Maltmiller to, to produce five unique beers that will um, be basically Truly elusive, but also celebrating their birthday and certainly two of the names on that list siren and and weird beard don't surprise me in 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 the slightest, considering the admiration that Andy has spoken um, that he has for both of those breweries in the past. The second way that they're celebrating turning five is um <sighs> In, in the way that only Andy can give back to the community is, is he's running a homebrew competition um, which will hopefully give somebody a commercial platform to maybe start their own brewery which is essentially the journey that Andy went down becoming a, a brewer so basically um, it's it's a homebrew competition that's sp- sponsored by the Maltmiller there are going to be 100 kits available via the Maltmiller's website to purchase and, and to brew your own version of a Belgian whit um, so you'll get all the core ingredients from the malt miller um, the beer has to meet all of the bjcp styles uh, and then basically one of these beers will be selected to be brewed commercially by elusive the winner will also get um, a 500 pound cash prize 500 pound credit at malt miller and yeast from white labs so it's, it's quite a lucrative home brewing competition now as we record this on a monday and it releases this thursday these kits go on sale the Wednesday in between. So I'm guessing by the time you've listened to this, if you wanted to get involved in this and you haven't already, it's too
1: late because I imagine those 100 kits have gone. I reckon they'll go pretty quickly. I think it's, firstly, you know, happy birthday to Andy. Um, I agree, five years. But the competition, yes, such a lovely nod back to Andy's route to market and convincing him that this was something, A, he was good at, and B, he should pursue further. So I think it's, I, I like the fact that they've gone for a particular style as well. A very unique style as well. Yeah. And whoever's judging that, that's a lot of Belgian wit <laughs> that's yeah. been drunk over a period of time. Um, I, I love the, the the tie up with the Malt Miller. You know, good luck to anyone who enters. And, you know, if, if you do manage to bag um, the kit, I really am looking forward to hearing how people get on, I have to admit.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the entries come through. I think the closing date is it's in the middle of July. So I imagine um, the first commercial brew of that might not be until September, maybe early autumn time by the time everything's
1: been sorted. Yeah, I'd imagine, you know, I mean, you, there's going to be a due process to go through as well, isn't there? So yeah. And then you've got literally just logistics and who knows how those logistics might change a few months as we get closer to autumn and winter anyway. So I'm sure they'll get it sorted one way or the other, but I am really looking forward to, to viewing the competition from the outside, looking in.
0: Yes, very much so. Uh, that's it for the news this week. Just to, just a couple of bits that I wanted to pick up. Hopefully, that's given um, Combi a little bit of time to, to to catch up with where we are on the beers because once, once again, I'm I'm suffering from the eva- evaporation problem here with the hopping spree. Uh, I've got to say, I mean, I, I, know, I know when we when we first met you at Brew London last year, Combi, we, we we had a little try of this on on draft then, and it was fairly on in a day. Uh, fairly early on in the day and i thought to myself i need to take it easy with this one because i could just be disappearing down a hopping spree hole otherwise um but yeah the canned version it's just got everything that i look for in in this style of beer it's it's immensely drinkable it's 6.6 percent, so it's not a massive abv but if you have a few of these it's going to creep up on you and and, and hit you
1: unexpectedly i think mm. yes you know, yeah,
0: yeah. T- sorry
1: steve do you not think it's a massive ABV, 66 I don't
0: think 66 is. That kind of sits in... If you're s- from the States, it's a session beer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it kind of sits in my <laughs> sessionable range these days.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you, I think our sessionable... I mean, we've joked about it before, but I think our sessionable uh, numbers and our range was altering anyway. But I reckon... I think lockdown has probably accelerated that. And I reckon if I was doing pint to this, this would catch up on me quicker outside at a tap room or a pub than it would do at home. It's, it's I interesting. I would drink it at, diff- at a pace, which probably wasn't the right one to apply to a 6.6% mm-hmm. beer.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting So I've seen a lot of people comment on Twitter recently, So certainly since um, drinking outside in pubs started up again. A lot of people have commented that during lockdown they were able to drink seven or eight 440ml cans and be fine. They've gone back to the pub and they've had three
1: pints and they're absolutely on their ass. <laughs> I know it's a strange one. I don't know whether it's uh, the atmosphere, the fact that maybe you feel a little bit lightheaded as much because of the fun element of it as well. But... Um, I would agree that when I went to the Leon C tap room and I wasn't doing any of their necessarily their big beers um, and I've been drinking Leon C beers at home during lockdown and I, I felt it more between four and eight than if I had been doing those beers at home.
2: Having observed is people drink quicker that, you know, so, so what you, you because the, the time periods are a bit more compressed because I think people were drinking away, but like oftentimes you might be on a zoom call and you'd be there for bloody hours and it would, you know, time would pass by. Whereas, you know, certainly in those first few weeks, people were there. They were going to like jam beer into them, and they, you know, like someone was going to take it away from them. And so, I think it was the um, speed of consumption, as well as everything else, might be it might be a factor.
1: Yeah, I, I would say no. that six point six percent probably falls out as sessionable day, <laughs> in my, in my opinion. But that doesn't I'm not going to put it
0: to the test. Let's no. <laughs> um, well,
1: if we ever get to Milton, Mobile, <laughs> Steve, I'm sure we would give it a good go. Um, I, but I would say, you know, that's a challenge. Regardless of the ABV, it's a fantastic West Coast IPA. Thank yeah. you.
0: Yeah, very, very, very delicious. Very tasty stuff. Uh, with that, let's move on to the, the next beer this evening that we're going to be trying. And this is the Mackinac. American Brown Ale. So, so Combi, do you want to tell us a, a little bit about this beer as we're getting it into the glass? Yeah, so this is a, an American Brown Ale, not to be confused
2: with uh, 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 obviously a, a, an English Brown Ale. So it's a, this is a style of beer that originated from the kind of American home brewing scene in then in, in, in really the 1980s and onwards, um, which has kind of got the malty elements. And I think we've got like seven malts in here um but then it, it, you know which w- uk equivalent wouldn't have then has quite a healthy hop bill in there as well so you get the kind of counterbalancing of the kind of nutty maltiness with the you know a healthy amount of hops and yet again kind of produces just a really balanced beer this beer kind of um fucks with people's heads or affects with people's heads whatever way you want to do it uh, and we like beers like that that kind of mess with people's Prejudices or whatever you might want to call it, assumptions of what a beer should be, because they look at this and they'll think it's brown cask old manny style thing. Yet when they drink it, it's got a kind of very beautiful. Well, it's got a good hop aroma, anyway, just straight out of the uh, you know out of that and a, and a level of maltiness and chocolateiness on the nose as well. Um, and it's just a really lovely beer that we we are always fascinated who drinks this. You'll find. Uh, you know, a, a healthy mix of men and women, uh, young and old, drinking this in a way that brown ale, probably in the traditional ways, would tend to be towards males and older fellas at, at, at that as well. And um, we just love that about this beer. And this beer has kind of surprised us. We did it originally as um, uh, a one-off. In fact, we'd never intended to brew this. We had brewed... You mentioned earlier in the preamble, one of, one of our beers that we did in plantation rum barrels, which was our imperial gunmetal, but a kind of a, 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 a sister beer to that was called curfew bell, also brewed and, and aged in those barrels. And um, we tried to sell that beer to one of the beer clubs, uh, beer bods, and it was just too expensive for them and they couldn't make it happen. But they said we would be really interested if you could do a brown ale that was a bit more accessible. And we just came up with this recipe, uh, you know, in double quick time. It's kind of 5.2% ABV, nice complexity to it, but just very drinkable and sessionable. And as I said, like nice balance of malt and and hops. And then the only other thing to add, and this is we generally try and name our beers with that accessibility in mind and also telling stories about our area. So Mackinac is the cloth that if, if you're a fill and buff, uh, uh, then uh, on the waterfront with Marlon Brando. Uh, he wears this kind of plaid jacket that's kind of almost equivalent to like a donkey jacket in the UK. And that's made from Mackinac cloth, which is uh, a town in upstate uh, uh, Michigan in the States. And it, it's, it's basically a, a kind of a twin town to our own Melton where donkey jackets made from Melton cloth. So that's where the Mackinac name comes from, is an American brown ale brought over here in much the same way as Mackinac cloth is a, is a, the US equivalent of our own melting cloth. So there's a, a, an insight into our own weird little uh, uh, naming conventions. And as per usual, we tell stories about that. And, you know, we like people coming along with donkey jackets anyway, in general, kind of showing off their melting credentials.
1: Uh, we, we love facts. We love facts. And at the risk of offending anyone... I'm just going to say it's a really nice hoppy brown ale.
0: Mm. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's really soft and balanced. All, all, yeah. all, all the flavours just play so well together in that, and and it's just a really smooth, easy finish. I mean, um, do, uh, do you do this one on cask? Because if, <laughs> if, 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 if this is if this is a cask beer, this is an absolute winner. Um, if you can get this poured through a hand pump. Well,
2: it, it, it's interesting. We first thought we'd brew this as a one-off and we've been brewing it away ever since uh, into keg and into can. Um, and we're going to keep on brewing it because people keep on ordering huge volumes of it um, from a kind of trade perspective and stuff like this. The cask is an interesting one. If we maybe digress for a second, we would have brewed half our, our half our beers pre-lockdown were into cask uh, uh, because almost all our production was into draft in one shape or form and half our production was into keg and half into cask. And in between lockdown one and lockdown two, we really went for hell for leather to produce more cask. And also we have a a nitro stout and we were really intent on making beers that could only be drunk in pubs. And to be honest with you, we got a bit burned. Uh, 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 You know, really the the demand wasn't there. And we're kind of in a situation now that we're desperate to do more cask. But we fear brewing too much again because we, you know, we did we did find ourselves in a position where it didn't sell as well, and we were using capacity that we could have done for other stuff. So yeah, we're desperate to return to the cask market, but right now a bit nervous about where the demand is coming from cask, and you know how much independent cask is going to be bought at what prices and those types of things. But cannot wait to produce more cask beer. We do a, an English bitter called Topside. That's just a magnificent beer. And we produce some beers that, uh, yeah, exactly a bit like this as well. So we have four or five cask beers that we're desperate to make, but uh, a little bit apprehensive about where the demand's going to come. So we're just going to give it a month and see what happens.
1: Oh, that's understandable, but I would mm. echo Steve, the reason for Steve's question. Mm. This one, I can picture on cask that, yeah. that little bit of extra body behind it mm. and that natural carbonation that you'll get from the from the cask. Yeah. I agree. I think would work so well with that beer. It may it may mess with people's heads a bit more even. Yeah. <laughs> your, your hoppy brown beer on cask. Mm-hmm. But I can definitely picture that in my mind's eye. Out of the three beers we've had so far, this is the first one I thought, ooh, cask.
0: Yeah. Ooh, and, and ooh,
1: I'm going to slow down on this one a little bit. <laughs>
0: I'm going to savor it a little bit more. Thank now you. This this is in um a slightly different design can as well. Mm. Um, that's that's a lot more tactile. You, 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 yeah. you, you've got your prominent branding on it. Um, yeah. I'm going to take a wild guess. Is this maybe a seasonal as where the other two that we drunk this evening are core beers?
2: Yeah. So we have like core beers are in, yeah, uh, uh, you know, in, we call our original design, but it's got a kind of template to it. So people know it's our beer round corner is very prominent and displayed, but we also with this accessibility in mind, we want people to be able to read the beer and see what's the name of the beer very clearly what the ABV is, what the style is. And we try and give names to beers that people won't be embarrassed about asking for in a shop or in a pub uh, It's kind of uh, you know we didn't think it was uh, the most revolutionary thing, but you sometimes see a lot of breweries fail, and we sometimes did it. We we have a we do lots of kiwi beers. We have a beer called Jandals and Togs, uh, which is a a kiwi session IPA. sells really well, but no bugger can pronounce it. And so we thought, oh, that's a bit of a mistake. So yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, name beers. Things that people can pronounce, and then they can buy that beer.
0: Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that on the next beer. While we're um, finishing off the, the the Mackinac, let's get on to this week's question. Opinions, 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 opinions. Which was, do you think tap rooms are an essential part of a brewery's offer? Now, I, I was quite excited about this poll because this this was a repeat of a poll that we did back in November 2015 um, when we first started doing these regular polls as, as the beer o'clock show and when we first featured them on on a show as well now back then we we only had uh 143 votes with 56 percent of people saying yes and 43 percent of people saying no this time round we had uh 569 votes uh, the majority is still going with yes but an even more of a majority now uh 65.6 percent and no at 34.4 percent uh so let's get into some of the feedback we had and and then we'll get into our views and we'll have a chat with combi about how important the tap room offering is
1: to round corner okay chicken dipper at graham salander i think essential is the key word here of course i'll be really happy if i can go and drink beer at my favorite brewery but not being able to do so won't stop me from drinking their beer i always check to see if there's a tap room i can drink at if i go somewhere on holiday mark landells at landells hmm I don't think essential is quite the right term. I'm sure many a brewery could become successful and revered without a tap. But I do love them, so I'm quite happy for them to be essential. There's something a bit special about drinking beer at the source.
0: James at Gammon Baron, Maybe not essential for all, but if it means more of my money goes direct to the brewery I like, then I'm all for it. Sean the brewer, at Sean Aylin. I think it's a good mix of outlets in a town is still essential though
1: Taprooms, bottle shops bars and good old-fashioned well-run pubs too a at katrina's beneficial yes but not essential my favorite brewery does not have a taproom. homebrew rich at rich swin it's certainly a good way of building a local following and regular custom any tool a small brewery has of making money is essential to its survival Is there anything better than getting your hands on home on some brewery fresh pints with zero mileage on it, enjoying it where it's made? From Johnny Tyson at Beer Wrangler. For small breweries, it's an essential
0: part. It's an essential avenue to turn over beer and with an increased margin. It's vital as a physical embodiment of the personality of the brewery, too, in my opinion. And then from Guy Miller at Brew Guy. Yes, a tap room is a showcase for the head brewer to show his beers in perfect condition as they would drink it themselves, as is a true reflection of their
1: standard for me. Steve Gray. Folks like drinking where the beer is made and it makes a real connection between the brewery and punter. I miss sitting by the, the FE's; It's quite different from being in a pub. And from the ale trail at the ale trail, definitely like the fact that small breweries can cut out the middleman and earn some real bean with an on-site tap.
0: From your boy, Rob Edwards, I voted yes, as widely small independent breweries are able to sell a large quantity of their output on site, at least to start with. A great way to build a reputation. Of course, this isn't always the case, but tap rooms are important for many. And then from the Owl Lady, I voted no, because it's not something that alters my opinions on breweries at all. It's all about the quality of the beer. However, they may now be essential from a business point of view, but I don't know enough to form an opinion on that.
1: Rich Caller at R Caller, for some scales of brewery, the only way to be commercially viable is through a taproom of some kind, so pretty much essential for them. James at Iron Pier James, we wouldn't have survived without our tap room, and with the government pushing the new 2,100 hectolitres limit, they're going to be even more important
0: from horseworth brewery at Horsford brewer definitely depends on which side you're looking at it from as a punter not essential but a great opportunity to try their range that you find, won't find elsewhere and as a business unless you've got money behind you yes pretty much essential and then the final comment comes from round corner brewing at round corner brewing now do you remember what you said here combi uh, I think I do. <laughs> i those. Do, do you want me to? Do you want me to nudge your memory a little bit? Yes. Please, please. Um, from a brewery's perspective, the margins, positive energy, direct contact with consumers, and sense of home and community can't be replicated any other way.
2: That sounds like me, all right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Certainly it sounds like from what we've we've heard from you already this evening. Yeah, yeah. yes, it sounds like you. I mean, with loads of great comments there, and and, and thanks to everybody that, that that submitted comments on this one. It was really interesting to see people's views on it. Um, so so, so, so combi, how important? I mean, we, we have spoke about it already, um, mm. in, in terms of the space that you've created and the sense of yeah. community that you've got there. But how important is that tapram? Firstly, to, to that sense of community and being a central hub for the local community to come to. And and then secondly, for, from a business point of view, how, how important is it that you now have that outlet to serve your beers directly to, to consumers?
2: Yeah, look, a couple of things even before I get into our experience was interesting that a lot of people picked up on the, the word essential in the pool. Yeah. And like whether that was... You know the most appropriate word, and it depended on whose perspective it was, and that's the interesting thing. Because I kind of remember two quotes from there that that triggered a couple of uh, themes that are quite interesting. Because it's 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 more complex than we first thought. Like there's the the one from uh, uh, the Ale Trail, which is like the fact that small breweries can cut out the middleman and earn some real money. And there's a probably subset in that that might be is that the perception maybe that breweries that set up their own tap rooms are somehow disenfranchising whether it's pubs or other areas. And that's a, a level of complexity that always where breweries set up direct channels, whether it's web shops or tap rooms, there's always a, a, a kind of a sense of, are they trying to circumvent the established routes to market of, you know, through whether it's pubs or shops or whatever. And, and I, I, you know, I certainly don't buy that. I think you have to have a diverse uh, uh, mechanisms to get to customers, etc. cetera. And to show your product. But I'll I'll come on to that and how we view that. And the second one is from uh, 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 a really good guy, James at Iron Pier, which is around uh, him saying that we wouldn't be there without that. And that actually some of the storm clouds still have to pass in the sense of the government's duty uh, uh, um, uh, legislation, which may penalise smaller, sorry, mid range smaller breweries above 2000 hectolitres. And Certainly, from a duty perspective, breweries pay huge taxes. We pay taxes at VAT levels at duty levels every month VAT every quarter. We have a lot of money going out oftentimes before we get paid and tap rooms are a hugely important mechanism to keep cash flow going because you get the money immediately from your customers and you get the full access to the full margin, et cetera. And so I'd certainly echo James's comments around, Uh, how important they've been to the survival of breweries, because let's not forget, breweries got no dedicated support through the lockdown period. Uh, So there may be there is support from a furlough perspective and some other things. Uh, And those of us and and we did get some support, but that was purely based on us running Taproom almost as like a, a, a defined entity. Uh, But if you were just running a brewery, there was nothing dedicated to support you through COVID. And that makes it really, really tough. Uh, And so I think some of the businesses that will struggle in this new world would be businesses that don't have access to the taproom or the direct clients, whether that's online or via the web shop, and are very much dependent on those traditional routes to market. That's a personal view. But I'll kind of come on to us then is I love tap rooms, and that's informed by, not only my experience here in the UK but in New Zealand and Australia and the states, and actually especially in Ireland, it's quite interesting in Ireland, the licensing laws are much more um strict than they would be here in the UK. It is more difficult to get a license and much more expensive and as a result, there are not many tap rooms in Ireland at all, and so I think you see clearly the value a tap room delivers to a brewery being able to give a drinker the experience that the brewery wants their 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 liquid to be best presented in and the absence of that really strikes me as as a horrific thing in Ireland where there isn't many tap rooms, the pubs don't support independent beers as a result of that drinkers don't have a place to go to almost like a show home for that product presented in its most perfect condition at source, in the best way, with all the storytelling, et cetera, around it. And I think it leaves a gap in the market for drinkers. I think they they don't really get access to, to the full area. So if I look at our position, I love the direct access it gets us to drinkers. And that's feedback on where our product is good. If it's shit, they'll tell us pretty quickly as well. It gives us direct access to the full margin of the business. Uh, uh, in the sense of we're selling a pint, you know, the same price as, as as anyone would do, and then we're collecting that and doing that in real time, as opposed to offering credit. And um, uh, and the relationship and visibility that a tap room gives you in your community can't be replicated. It would be my view is I know that our council and the people of Melton Mowbray know us because we have a tap room and a retail experience. If I was just running a production plan for beer and you know it was coming out in kegs or cans etc um uh, i'm just not sure people would would uh, see us as that visible or that physically there uh, in the same way as they've been in our site, they've been in our brewery drinking our beer and they did not want us to disappear and and i'm not saying that with any weirdness so i'm just saying like that's a really credible tangible benefit of of having a tap room is just the sheer visibility that 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 gives you in in your communities is really really important and uh, you know i would view a tap room as an essential part of if i if, if any brewery was coming to me now or someone's setting up a brewery you got to have a tap room my sense is you've got to have a tap room and you've got to invest to make that a decent tap room to have an experience because i think some of the struggles that brewers or pubs etc will have is Anyone who's looking for a return to the world as it was prior to lockdown and COVID is going to be sadly disappointed. I don't think people would be drinking in the same way. I think people have been shocked about the quality of beer they've been able to get at home, the quality of food they've been able to get at home, the variety, how quickly that beer arrives, the prices, everything is quite magnificent. That's a real challenge for us as publicans and as brewers and it's uh, and the only way in my mind that we can all rise that challenge is by giving people experiences reaching into their houses and bringing them out and i think a great tap room can do that not just for itself and its own beer but for the publicans around it and the community around it and you know the flow on benefit for anyone covering those beers and you know we take that obligation and role quite quite seriously in terms of round corner and kind of how we want to do it so yeah kind of i i I'm a massive fan of tap rooms. And, you know, we're very fortunate that we have an iconic location that's not a typical kind of, you know, industrial state or, you know, those types of things. But I think it's, 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 it's really important that whatever assets you have at your, your disposal, you put them to the best benefit. You have as many beer festivals, as many reasons to people to come out and drink your beer and go to the pubs that stock you, etc. And, um, you know, those things are, are going to be incredibly important. So that's that's my kind of uh, ode to tap rooms. And I think the absence of them is 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 tough. And you see that in places like Ireland where they can't get into pubs because there's no real pressure on people to view independent beer as a draft product because they don't see it ever. They see it in a can in a store and that's how they access independent beer in Ireland, which is bonkers in my mind.
0: I, I think this is a rare occasion here where you've you've, you've left Martin and speech speechless. There, you, you clearly really, really think they that they play an important role in 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 what you do.
2: Yeah, and 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 like I, I I'll go back to that first point: is I don't see it as an or question where breweries have a kind of ulterior motive to cut out the middle people involved in everything. Is uh, is I think in my mind, I would love to see a great big reset between the overall relationship between brewers, drinkers and the venues that that, that we all use. And certainly from us as a brewery, one of the things that we're desperately doing is finding people to really double down on working on, uh, you know, to do whether it's tasting events or, you know, all these types of things. Because um, I think one of the interesting things that probably breweries have found through dealing a bit more directly with people through this is that, uh, as an example, right, I don't think I would have been as passionate about talking about tap rooms uh, uh, 18 months ago as I am now. But I'll tell you what, a year and a half of shoving bloody beer in boxes and relying on couriers who smash them up on the way soon gives you a sense of that has its limitations, that model and that marketplace. Whereas serving pints to people and they're having a great time, and they're loving your business and your brand and what you stand for, there is nothing that beats it. Just the buzz, the the joy you have of doing your work. There's no joy in shoving cans in cardboard boxes and shipping it out to nameless, faceless people. It's very rewarding, and I think they drink the beer and love it, and I get such a buzz out of that. But the physical aspect of it is quite... oh. There's a courier. They've lost one in five parcels. Someone's really pissed off and blah, blah, blah as a result of it. It has its place. And we all have to have now web shops and those types of things. Nothing beats serving a pint directly to someone and then thinking, what's the next one I'm going to have? And I love this beer and I'm going to search for this beer wherever I go. It's a dream, you know, for a business. And we hope that that's something that we can then give to to stockists that want to stock our beer. Uh, and we find a symbiotic relationship. We have a lot of stores. So, um, you know, people might think that the choice for a brewery is to go to a supermarket or to a pub. But we found weird places where like garden centers, as an example, you wouldn't believe the volume of beer that's sold in garden centers. And the storytelling that goes on in garden centers and delis about the producers of those products and how many people we get come to us via our website who have first encountered our beer in some deli store where they were given the story about this amazing brewery in Melton Mowbray, it's magical, you know? And so kind of, why would anyone want to lose all of those complex components in the overall story? So I don't see a, a tap room as an or question versus all the other routes that we've got to work on with pubs and other things to drag people out of their house. But I think it's a great place to start as, as the show home for your product.
1: I mean, I mean, Steve's right. I mean, you're, you know, I think we were both mesmerized by your passion for uh, the tap room for all the reasons you've described. And I think for me, the tap, and I think I aren't as Steve referenced on the last show. I think I answered that I, I put the first comment on this poll six years ago as a listener. Um, essential was never the fault for me. Definitely not back then. It's definitely that passion for wanting to have the beer, presumably as they intended me to have it at its best. And also, even though it's some of it is definitely in the mind, the fact that the beer is just brewed 10 yards away, 20 metres, just that sheer thought that you could almost be in touching distance of where the beer is from, always added something to that experience. If we take the Bermondsey Beer Mall, the beauty of that Bermondsey beer mile, especially in maybe it's younger days was going to all the tap rooms of the breweries. And when I say tap rooms, some of them were literally just the front of house opened up on a Saturday rather than a necessary dedicated space as you have now. And yeah, you could just taste those beers fresh and you may not have seen them in other places because their route to market was so difficult. Um, I do love having beers at its source. I think there's, I would, Sean, the brewer, if you can find a town which has a mix of a tap room, bottle shop, bars and old fashioned well-run pub, you are in the perfect town. Um, I'm not in the perfect town. I haven't got those things, but I have got access to a a tap room at Leon C whose beers I really love. I like the people. I like the story behind the beers. Yeah, and they're on an industrial estate. It's the best place for me to get their beers currently. So I'm I'm quite happy to make that journey. The tap room definitely has a place, and I definitely think people get a love and an affiliation and an affection for beers if they've fallen in love with them at their own source, and that stays with them. And I I would say now I I can't think of that many breweries that I'm I like that haven't opened a tap room recently in the last few years as part of their offering. You know I love a I love a tap room. What's, what's your thinking, Steve? What was your thinking back in 2015? Well, well back in 2015, they were, uh, at that stage, they were
0: still a relatively new thing for for, for breweries to, to have. And I, th- I think, apart from your example of, of, of Bermondsey, there were very few breweries in the UK that that, that had a, a taproom. But if, if I now think forward to now and, and certainly think back, Certainly, over the last year of podcasts that we've produced, and every time we've had a brewery on, that brewery has had a taproom, and 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 they've spoken about the, the taproom. And even even if you think about um, Amity, who who we had on when we had Russ on, he was actually talking about opening the taproom before they'd even started brewing their own beers on site. That, that they were still brewing their beers at other sites to enable them to open the taproom, and it was. It was almost that that was at the center of their plans. It's like, we're going to open this, this, this tap and this brewery space. That's the goal to do that. But how do we get to that? So it, it seems to be moving to the starting point for a lot of breweries now. It's it's like, how, how do we get our product to our customer in the best possible condition? That's serving it front of house, right? That's our starting point. Let's build the brewery around that. And and as you say, you know, Combi sound like you're vet, it, 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 massively fortunate in that the, the space that you've been able to build your brewery and taproom in, in, in in terms of it becoming this wonderful destination. And and I think you do see those up and down the country. You just, you do sort of see destination taprooms. I mean, I I remember back to when when I used to work in Leeds, and if I'd be overnight in Leeds. Uh, with work i'd actually spend the evening getting the train to and from huddersfield to go and visit magic rock rather than than going out in leeds town center i'd 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 spend time traveling somewhere to go and visit their tap space and and yeah i think i I think they are an important part and much much the same as 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 you might and if if i'm visiting somewhere new i will look up the breweries that are around and if they've got a tap space or not that i can go and visit because you are going to get that the beer in peak condition and and you do have that opportunity of running into the people that have brewed the beer for a, a, a conversation. No,
1: I was just going to going back to Steve. I was ridiculously excited about the first visit to Magic Rock because it was a very different tap room. it was it felt purpose built, and most of the other tap rooms I'd visited to that point, as far as my memory is concerned, were add-ons and we' we'll use this little bit of space on a Saturday. Whereas the Magic Rock tap room just was amazing. It was like, seriously, there's there's the canning line over there. There's barrels one way and there's taps that way. It was like an amazing experience that first time I went there in 2015. That, and that's what I think really made me start to think, yeah, tap rooms. There's definitely something about being in a tap room that you can get to fairly easily. Magic Rock was what, 15 minutes walk away from the station? Longer when you're leaving. Magic Rock back to the
0: station. I have to.
2: That's when cabs coming. But and I I think it's it's because I I do the same. It's very easy to kind of get to say the architecture of tap rooms and and by and large in the UK you know we could all spend a bit more money in our tap rooms. You know, want a chipboard and port to lose disproportionately large in the tap room community. But um, I think there's an element as well. Is like it's the human element of tap rooms are really really important and by that particularly as a brewery owners I want everyone who works in my tap room to do nothing but get people excited a about beer and then b about our beer you know so so we definitely have a policy where you know uh, uh, is if we want to talk positively always about beer so uh, you know kind of uh, even if I'm say looking at peroni I'm very conflicted because I just have massive respect for kind of what, what they've done in terms of volumes. That's what it should be. You should never like view whether it's macro beer, or something else as good or bad. Cause I think too many people talk down other aspects of beer that don't fit within their views of the world. And I think that's doubly important in a tap room when you're trying to encourage, maybe someone who comes in and says, I normally drink Carling. What do you got? And if you don't make that person feel enormously welcome, and coach them as to what's the nearest thing that they're going to get to that. What journey might they expect? If they like this taste component, how do they move on to the next, where else are you going to get that? Then, you know, in your own tap room where you can control that experience and where else are you going to start that journey? Because if we're all aiming for the same tiny fraction of people who are already converted to say craft beer, we're all screwed because that's not a big audience right now. And we have a collective responsibility use our tap rooms and our websites and you know and our relationships with with pubs to convert more and more people to independent beer in the end I think there's always a risk that breweries get a little caught caught up in their own love of the liquid and that the liquid is everything it's a social lubricant in the end and I think if we don't have respect that that's what it's there to do is to fuel community and conversations and sociability and you know you name it uh and not just about you know is it a you know 4.5 out of 5 on untapped um you know it, 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 we're lost we're not going to convert enough people tap rooms are a great place to convert people
0: yeah and and i think as we begin to, to see the industry and, and, and hospitality opening up again, I, I think certainly one of the things that i've I've seen on twitter is, is is a lot of people mentioning how during lockdown they've ordered beers from a brewery online or they've discovered a brewery online, and their next logical step now is I want to visit their tap room when i can that 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 is such a that, that's such a rhetoric that I see time and time again on twitter these days is i've enjoyed this wonderful beer during lockdown can't wait to visit the lock it can't wait to visit the tap room and so i just i think i think it it, it could be a very good time for, for for breweries this summer uh on on the back of everything that we've just gone through where where we suddenly get lots of people come in and, and actually visiting you on site and if we were running a brewery or a tap room on the bermondsey beer mile
2: or up in Tottenham or, you know, Walthamstow or whatever where there's there tends to be collections of breweries, uh, we might be just seen as another tap room. Whereas running something in a in a town, you know, where people are desperate for success and a brand that they can hold on to, it's it it, you know, it feels very good and
0: magnificent and we get support that we probably wouldn't get in a bigger town. Just just loads of of great views there. And I've really enjoyed that discussion. And I'm sure we could we could carry on talking about tap rooms all night long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe that's one to continue in the future at a taproom over a pint. Um, that, that, that would be the way to go with that. But thanks to everybody uh, that got involved in that. There is a link in the show notes to the question. If you want to click through and have a look at all of the responses that we had, you can do. You can still get involved. Use the hashtag opinions and you may very well find yourself in this next part of the show. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know. Write it down. Let us know your thoughts and bitter in lingerness. Write it down. So first off, this is isn't quite direct feedback. So it's something I picked up on, um, following on from our discussion on the last show, which was all about untapped. Uh, There was a tweet from our friends at Riverman Brews uh, that commented on the recent rebranding of of Forpure, which isn't what we're going to get into, because I know lots of people have views, very strong views about that rebranding. But as part of that, what they've done is they've gone into Untapped and they've rebranded all of their beers under their new names. Um, So if you've previously drunk, I think the one was Easy Peeler in, in the past that's now branded as the new version of, of that beer, thus transferring all of your data from the old beer and what possibly was a very different beer to the new beer under a different name. Um, now, I don't think that's on. I, I, I don't think you, can go, you should be able to go in and mess with the data like that.
1: Well, you're messing with my data. Yeah, and you're also... messing with
0: my views on a
1: product that I've never drunk. Yeah, and Juicebox, you know, for example, was a—I think a really good beer when it first came out from 4Pure, really enjoyed it. And I, I think also, was it the bigger version of Juicebox, it was a 440, um, really enjoyed that beer. And I'm not sure that check-in exists anymore in that format. So I would rather you just left the previous data alone. And if you're gonna bear it in mind, the marketing and branding that they've done around uh, the new labelling do a clean break and then start again um, I think all you've done is people who really enjoy using untapped you've probably just alienated them a bit further as well
0: well it's made you less likely to want to drink their beers now if, if they're going to mess around with your data
1: so much yeah I, 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 think, I think that was a misstep by all means create the new beers on untapped and you know it's an extra check in for almost having the same beer sometimes. Yeah. Uh, to actually, I think actually Wayne from the Irish Beer snobs he'd messaged me because Saint came up on his timeline and we had shared over, you know, we were chatting over a beer and it was it was Juicebox at, uh, in Bethnal Green. But if I look at Untapped, I didn't have Juicebox in. I had something else. So yeah. Well, well, upset. For... Upset, yeah. Steve. Yeah. Why did, why did you have to bring
0: that one on? I just, because I, I felt as was only needed to mention it after, after mm. the last show. I was having um, such a good time tonight. Sorry, let's 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 bring it back round then. And and, and talking of the aforementioned Wayne uh, from the Irish Beer Self, he said he really enjoyed the elusive brew episode. Seriously gutted that we can't get their beers here. I'll have to snaffle loads when I'm over next.
1: Pity, Wayne. I've already warned you. Steve tries to take most of it every time.
0: So yeah, there's not going to be much Oregon Trail to go around.
1: Yeah. Good luck with that one. <laughs> uh, from Ian Hay at IAI Hay. Excellent episode. Very enjoyed it. In strange times in this world, it's nice to know that the show will come along on a Thursday and provide a really good listen. Matt Calaby at Calaby Matt. Loving the recent podcast, guys, but as a homebrewer myself, I'd just like to say that in my books, Andy from Elusive is as much of a legend as Ken and Jamil. Bold words. Bold words, and that, uh, if Andy's listening, it may well bring a little tear to his eye, because I know <laughs> how much he looks up to those two as well.
0: Yeah. From Craig Henderson at the MCR Smoggy. Another great episode, guys. And it's nice to start hearing your beery adventures again. I agree with you about preferring to hear from brewers or owners. Marketing people are great, but they're telling someone else's story. It's nicer to listen to someone who lived and breathed it. And then finally, from Mark Johnson. Great show. I'd forgotten that my mother went to Ireland five or six years ago and bought me back some yellow belly beers on a shop owner's recommendation. And it came
1: with some info and on one of the comic strips, too. I still have it. That's quite cool. And I'm also glad that um, Combi turns out to be the owner after that other comment as well. <laughs> yes. yeah, if Com- if Combi yeah. was the salesman for Round Corner, that would have landed really badly, that one. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I'm valid. My opinions are valid.
0: <laughs> it's, it's all about how we plan these things. Moving on to the next beer, then, which hasn't exactly got a name that rolls off of the tongue, has it, Combi? No. we breached breached our own rules on
2: this one so tell us what this this is so it's a russian imperial stout quite simply but it's called society for the encouragement of virtue so we uh name beers after oftentimes historical events in melton or characters or stuff to do with agriculture and this is a real society that existed in 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 um, melton to uh enforce laws against profanity and vice and all these nasty things that people were inevitably engaging in in Melton Mowbray probably still are. Uh, And this society then had rules about how they do that. So we thought it'd be fun to name a a big, strong Russian imperial stout. (laughs) Uh, And we use words like containing all of these wonderful profanities and vices in in the uh, in the making of them, but it's um yeah it's a barrel aged Russian Imperial Stout named after that society. So uh, it's the second year of making it. So last year we made a nine point six percent version in plantation rum barrels that we brought over from Barbados that had fifteen year old plantation rum in them, and uh, we aged first our um imperial gunmetal, and then this, the Russian imperial stout, and then we did our curfew bell, our imperial Melton and brown ale, and those barrels were now retired, and are, some of them are leaners at, at our outdoor tap room, some of them are used as wood chippings for our local barbecue man, who was very happy to get a few of those, uh, and we've got Irish whiskey barrels this year, is our kind of uh, ageing barrel of choice, uh, mainly from Bushmills, and uh, and we've brewed this i think is our is it our first or second beer and this is our first beer about this is the 2021 version of society for the encouragement of virtue last year's won a gold at the world beer awards this is just one gold at the european beer challenge uh, for russian imperial stout category and really kind of what we aim to do whenever we set out to make these bigger kind of barrel aged is let the barrel do the talking so we try and brew very uh, um, uh, smooth uh, uh, beers. Ideally, you know the kind of quite simple feedback we like to hear from people. Is, wow, that's really smooth. That's beautiful. It does not drink like a, uh, in this case, ten percent ABV beer. Um, and you know, consistent with everything, whether we're brewing an imperial stout or a a, a crisp lager, we want this to be a bit Moorish. Now, I think this is the type of beer that people might have half of it over a chocolate brownie at the end of an evening or something like that. But um. You know, we have uh, drunk quite a few of these uh, over our time to kind of test out the sessionability. And indeed, actually, just as a digression, but a useful one, because people do like to, they oftentimes laugh at this, but is we have a testing regime in, in, in the brewery. We have a huge lab. So we believe in doing things the right way. So everything is kind of tested with an inch of its life. The yeast we use, uh, uh, you know, the dissolved oxygen levels and blah, blah, blah. All the kind of logical things. But we also have a, a a gallon test. Is any beer that we produce, we all have to drink a gallon of it. This beer is difficult to drink a gallon of it. Even uh, hopping spree is quite a challenge to drink a gallon of hopping spree. Uh, uh, but we try that because we know that beers taste very different from... Consuming a third to consuming a half to consuming the first pint or the second pint, and actually we f- we feel it's really important that we know what that experience is, and that if we are going to refine a beer, uh, one of the tests will be, you know, how does it feel through that second pint or third pint, and you know those elements,
1: including this beer. The Russian. Well, I I, I, beer. I have questions. Yes. But... <laughs> I need to. I need to drink this beer first of all. Yeah, I'm salivating here. Can
0: can we please try the beer? Cheers. Cheers.
2: Beautiful uh, aromas. You'll get the barrel off that off off that beer, and just enjoy. The star is the the whiskey and barrel, but
1: yeah, but the whiskey isn't overpowering. No, no, it is. It's almost got like the yeah the the almost the undertone. Of the whiskey rather than the overtness of a whiskey. And I know that, you know, I'm definitely more of a whiskey drinker than, say, Steve is. And sometimes the whiskey can be a bit much for some people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, This is just very, very smooth and very, very delicate with its aroma and flavor profile and doesn't, um, definitely doesn't drink like the 10%. There's none of that burn going on. Um, And it's quite light, the body. You know sometimes you expect these beers to be a bit more viscous a bit thicker a bit even a bit oily yeah it's pretty clean still mm.
2: yeah and 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 people oftentimes it's weird like so we, that's very deliberate that's how we would set out to make this kind of quaffable is maybe a kind of word that's used a bit um and people sometimes would level at our at our bigger imperials like just not quite enough body not quite you know i'd expect more viscosity or whatever and i go like, Maybe. maybe, You know, people can expect whatever they want to expect. But what we'll set out to do is to make a quaffable beer. Now, you know, it's 10%. It's aged in barrels. It's got a lot of complexity going on there. But it does not need to be rough or, you know, kind of built in segments where I get the whiskey barrel and then I get something else and stuff like that. It just should feel... Okay, yeah, I get the whiskey barrels in there. I get some of the complexity of the the underlying imperial stout, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, we love it when people say it doesn't drink like a ten percent. It tastes super smooth. It's you know really great tasting. That we love hearing.
0: It's from my point of view. It's it's perfectly balanced. It is really smooth. It's like velvety smooth. It's got a lightness of body, but again, it's it balances out with all the flavors that's going on in there. Um, there is a slight warmth on the finish as well Mm. uh, and Yes, for ten for percent dangerously drinkable. Uh good job, it's only in a 330 mil can, eh, Combi? There we go. Well <laughs> I'm the president of the
2: Imperials only belong in 330 society. <laughs> so I'm actively looking for members. I'll sign up. Yeah. Our objective yeah. is to ban Imperials in anything above a 330 vessel.
1: <laughs> now, you alluded to this at the start of our you know our conversation mm. and you know. I would advocate that as well because um if we talk about the, the range of cans, then four forties for a certain style of beer at a certain percentage, especially if you haven't got the opportunity to share, um, mm. it is just too big. A 330, or we saw a couple of breweries last year, which presumably it wasn't viable for them to carry on doing it, but doing them in like the 250 milliliter cans as well. Yeah. Um so what, what, you're very much an advocate of 3.30 cans, but even more so with the bigger beers, aren't you, Combi?
2: Yeah, I, I, like, listen, I don't have religion by 3.30 cans particularly, um, other than Imperials, right? So it, 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 for us, just in our position, it made sense because where we sell big volumes of cans, which is to Honest Brew and Beer Hawk and people like that, uh, they tend to uh, 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 you know, see the beers that we produce in that format, and that works for us. And that's the long and short of it. Uh, We have done 440s and we don't have religion about it. Like, for instance, like we look at lagers and think, yeah, like a a good lager in a 440 seems like quite a logical thing. But actually, once you're down a certain route or a certain number of beers in 330, it does make sense from your own mixed pack perspective and that that you kind of keep with a certain consistency. But we don't have religion. But other than Imperials, where I do think uh, it makes no logical sense to go bigger vessels for bigger beers because it's it's it you know these are beers that you're not going to get through as quickly enough uh, or as quickly as you would do through other beers and so just having the freshest possible beer all the way through that you know kind of consumption that product makes a ton of sense but you know the other the other thing that obviously brewers probably would less say is that 440s make a lot of economic sense because oftentimes a brewer can charge more relatively for that extra you know one-third uh, uh, because it's seen as premium and craft, whereas a 330 is seen a bit more as a, a kind of macro product or whatever. But like, I, I see less of that. And, you know, I, I think over time, I just don't really care. We have a canning line. It can do whatever cans we stick into it. And so, uh, you know, whatever way the market goes, uh, we, we'll follow, um, you know, uh, and we'll go from there. But for now, that's that's what people seem to demand our product in. And, and uh, we'll keep on doing it that way for now. And uh, if it changes, it changes. Other than Imperials, which you, yeah,
0: able to hold. Relatively speaking, was was it because because you've got a couple of your beers are in Sainsbury's, aren't they? Was was it easier to get those onto the shelves in 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 a supermarket because they were three thirty, or, or was that done through a third party? And uh, you third party. So that was through Beerhawk, who buy a
2: lot of our beer anyway. Uh, so we w- never really had a relationship with Sainsbury's. And it's something that they do a lot, which is Sainsbury's would not be, you know, with some justification, would not be seen at the progressive end of beer, right? You just have to walk into their stores to probably see that. Um, uh, But they work with Beerhawk, which who I do think, you know, they've always been fabulously supportive of us. I know they're a division of AB InBev and all that type of stuff, but... I judge people on what they do for us and they've always been fabulous to to us as a small brewer and very supportive of us and they supported us into there for a three-month window as they have, um, I think Glen Affric have got one just they announced yesterday that's going into Sainsbury's uh, uh, and there's a couple of other people in there doing that Uh, and I think that's a good thing, you know, Sainsbury's probably do not seem to have a buyer that invests in in, in in beer as much as some of the other supermarkets. And so they get a bit of a helping hand, but it's cyclical. Rarely do those three month windows lead to anything beyond that. And that's fine by us because, you know, quite frankly, even the likes of the Beer Hawks, uh, the Honest Brews and the Beer 52s, they can deliver as much business to brewers like us as any supermarket can do probably bar if you've got a permanent listing in one of the big ones. So, you know, working with them is is probably about the right level for us right now. Uh, you know, even there's some orders that we'll get. And we've turned down some supermarkets uh, in the past where it, it isn't a right fit for us. Because, uh, you know, at the moment, we don't have enough national presence or brand resonance to have a discussion where there's a kind of you know some sort of equality in in the debate about price versus all the rest of it and so you know if we're going to have to concede on everything and then maybe not do some other things in our business because we're focusing on shelling out volume for some supermarket contract i don't think it's necessarily the right thing right now but um can we or any brewery sit there and say i'm not going to be in supermarkets you'd be crazy to because the volumes that they're doing and their relentless rise in the uh, uh you know kind of sale of beer by volume you just can't ignore it as 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 a, a, a brewer and so kind of yeah when the time is right but it's probably not right for us right now you know we, we'll continue to go down the independent route sell sell work with uh you know small independents i mentioned earlier like bloody garden centres. I'm just in love with them. Like, I, I'm genuinely shocked about who the hell buys craft beer in, in garden centres, but there's a lot of people doing it. And so uh, I'm very thankful of, of, of weird areas of the world like that that have, that, that have done very well for us and other and other brewers. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of business out there when we've got a small enough capacity that we have to make trade-offs anyway. Then, you know, I, I'd rather be making trade-offs about... Supporting our local community, direct selling, or you know some of those things, than saying let's go all in on some supermarket deal, et etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in the long run, of course, that's probably going to have to feature in our future.
0: If if I'm honest, Combi, I'd say with with what we've heard from you tonight in terms of the the, the way that you've set the brewery up, and you, you, you know the whole almost like and don't don't be offended by this, but almost like the whole country file feel to to, to what you've got set up there. I, I I could see your beers in in somewhere like Waitrose or Booths ra- rather than the the Sainsbury's Tesco Morrison sort yeah. of route because I yeah. think I think I think they're more of a fit for the, the sort of consumer that shops in 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 those supermarkets.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I I you know I think every every brewer probably has views about where they want to start if they do want to start a supermarket journey where they're going to start. Uh, you know, and it's probably the same. You know, you know some of the people that you mentioned you know and as an example like cooperative and stuff like that where you know you can kind of manage it there's manageable volumes the, the price point is right so it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're going to disadvantage the other people you know who are selling your beer and stuff like that you know and, and so hence the reason that I think we're in a fortunate position that what some of the assets we have is a tap room a good locality and community but the other asset we have is uh, we we have a decent balance sheet, and as a result, we are not desperate to do volume anywhere or to get every penny in, in in cash because that's the definer of whether we pay our bills next month. We're in a very privileged position where we can be patient about how we grow, and uh, it, it's as important for us to build a sustainable, profitable business that does the right thing consistently than it is to go, oh, Christ, I've got some bills to pay next month. I badly need cash flow right now. Uh, And I'm just aware that that's a a very useful position. And wasn't always the case. During the height of the pandemic, when we were selling all those growlers, we raised a bunch of money from our – we have 26 shareholders. And all of those shareholders were enormously uh, uh, – I don't know impressed is the wrong word because that sounds a bit crap. But uh, they saw what we did and they said – these are people who know how to fight, and I think that's that's the reason that they backed us again to raise a bunch of money. Some of which we put to building our own canning line, uh, and some of it which we have kept as a as a, a rainy day fund, almost for inevitably when things don't go our way or there's extra lockdowns or stuff like that. And uh, it, that's a real asset that we, we, we you know we can use to give ourselves some breathing space to do the right things. So yeah, we, we'll we'll see how that goes for us, but patient growth is 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 how we term it.
0: And, and as hospitality is opening up again and and, and hopefully we are looking forward to to, to a summer of in, in, enjoying drinking in and outside at venues again, where Where are you going next with round corner? what's What's the ambition over the next 12, 24 months?
2: So I think that there's probably let me think, there's probably like three elements to it. One is our home uh, and really investing that. So as I said, we've built a pizza restaurant we're going to obsess about just running every weekend like another reason to come out and I do think tap rooms are not just about beer or whatever like drinks it should be about food it should be about experiences and all those types of things so we're determined to make that just more and more a place where people want to come to and then that other people will learn from I think clearly kind of really working on our package product cans and, 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 you know, part of that being a a web shop and, you know, kind of directly telling our story and selling is remains important. I think the volumes that we've been selling and everyone's been selling by web shops has declined a bit over the last couple of months, you know, certainly versus the peak times of, of last year. But I think in the long run, as, as there, there isn't a business in the world that would, would be logical in saying, actually online is a bit of a fad, it's going to go away. It isn't. And, you know, your ability to build direct relationships is really unprecedented by that route. And so we would never have had a budget to spend money on, you know, massive amounts of online. And generally breweries are of a scale that we really struggle with online because we don't have a technology department or, you know, those types of things. So we have to, you know, really spend money that's painfully you know, chipped out of a budget that might have gone elsewhere to do those things. But I think that's a decision that we've made that we want to do more and more in that space to to kind of uh, uh, grow out. And then I think working with pubs and restaurants and other people as they come back, and probably in, the, in that area, it's about a, potentially a smaller number, but however many, but more intensive relationships. And I think this is going to be a very common theme across breweries is... We're not going to be focused on selling the odd keg or cask here and there. We should be obsessed about developing very deep relationships with venues and permanent relationships with venues where we really invest in making them successful and likewise, rather than that's great. We've given you a keg. We'll see you in eight weeks for another keg. And. of course, we deliver against that business, but I don't think that that business has as much legs as developing really strong relationships with pubs and restaurants and others. Uh, and that's where we're going to spend our time is developing strong, intense relationships and permanency with a lot of people, probably in, in the East Midlands it w- w- would be that. So that, um, you know, we have a rock solid foundations to our business, because ultimately one of our visions is to become the iconic brewery in the East Midlands, which is not just about being relevant in the East Midlands. It's about when people think about us internationally and stuff like that, they think, yeah, that is a great brewery. They're in the East Midlands, we go see it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I think there are three elements, our home, direct relationships, uh, and uh, uh, you know, partnering with, with pubs and restaurants to really deepen the relationships we have with each other.
0: I'd, I'd say from what we've heard tonight from you, that the, the passion that you have for what you do what we've tasted tonight from you, as uh, as well, um, I don't think you're going to have any difficulty in achieving any of those uh, ambitions, um, and and I wish you all the very best of luck with, with with it as well, because you you it just sounds like you've created this amazing space, a community that's wrapped around that, but what's at the core of it
1: is is just some really really tasty beer as well. From everything we've heard from you tonight. And what you're saying, and and I suppose most importantly, and saying which we always come back to, the liquid in the glass. You know, all of the beers have been really good. Um, I still want to see that Mackinac on cask. (laughs) That that, Out of the the four beers we've had, that's the one which goes, screams cask. Um, But this Society for the Encouragement of Virtue... Is just definitely too easy to drink for a 10% because it's got that light body. So it's got the complexity, it's got the flavors, but it's light. And I think actually that would mess with some people's minds because I think they're expecting that to be a thick beer and it's not, it's not in that element. I've had beers which are two or 3% less with a similar sort of style and they've been a lot more viscous, a lot more oily and have taken longer to drink this. I would have said, Oh, it's an end of evening beer, but I'm actually thinking, well, it's a penultimate end of evening beer. <laughs> which is probably gonna end up badly, but it's <laughs> the, the liquid in the glass leads for me. And then everything else you've laid on top of that just adds to the whole story.
2: And 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 listen, there's no there's no denying, you know, I talked about those three elements, but at the core of our business, we are tremendously production driven, you know, so we have we hire brewers and typically uh, people who have degrees in brewing and stuff like this, and so we have this kind of production mentality, which is huge, led by Colin, who's a 25-year master brewer, judges at the World Beer Cup every, you know, every two years, etc. We've brought a guy called Mike over from Italy. Uh, he's brewed in Italy and and Sweden and thing, and then our most recent uh, uh, addition to the family is Lara, who we brought over from Brazil, where she worked for AB InBev. And like, what a job to bring someone over from Brazil right now. So she's currently isolating in Heathrow Airport. Um, But we try and find the best people we can find wherever they are in the world to come. And and to be honest, like we love the thought of bringing Italians and Brazilian people to to Melton Mowbray. And it just adds to the culture of of our brewery and the community and those aspects. And these people are magnificent brewers. And so... um, you know, we we, we really believe in, in manufacturing excellence. So the amount of money we spend, so we have a reverse osmosis water treatment, huge gas steam boiler plant, a, a lab that's probably disproportionately large for what we have. And none of those things necessarily will mean that we can add a, a penny to the product. But what we know with that and owning our own canning line, et cetera, is that the quality and consistency of our product so that we know when someone gets a, product our product in their hand they're gonna if they enjoy that first one the second one's going to be identical and that's a lot of the issues that we would have had where we were outsourcing canning and etc is you couldn't always guarantee that we know we will do so we'll never take our eye off the off the off the liquid and and making sure that that's our definition of craft being the pursuit of 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 perfection and so um yeah uh, for us we hope we'll continue to win world titles you know, all around the place, but more importantly, just that people love our beer. Uh, the, the biggest one we say, and I've talked a lot about what gets us excited, but some people, you know, they'll say, round corner, I've never had a bad beer for them. And like, how good is that to hear? That's just a beautiful thing for us to hear where, where, if someone says that uh, we're doing our job right then.
0: Absolutely. What, what we'll do is we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to where people can find out all about you, where they can order your beers, how they can visit you, all those sorts of things. Uh, we are very, very grateful for you, obviously, sending these beers to us to, to drink on the show tonight. So thank you for that. Just before we uh, wrap up this evening, uh, just a bit of a thank you to everybody that joined us this past weekend on our Opinions and Friends Summer Sesh Weekender. It was one hell of a weekend um and i think martin what we'll do is maybe cover that off in the next show under beerie adventures just having a little bit of a look back
1: uh, at that because we did have a great time across the sessions and oh, definitely uh, echo it was it was such good fun to see everyone um and as good fun as it was i like steve hope that we don't have to do too many of those kind of sessions virtually because i want to see all of you in the pub at a tap room in a city where I haven't been to before or haven't been to for a while. But yeah, I think we can go into that in more depth in the next show when uh, we haven't got a guest, Steve.
0: Yeah. Uh, And
1: just one additional
0: thank you to everyone that got involved in the mini badge quest that we ran over the weekend. Uh, There was a few people um, who said they'd donate a pound for every badge that they got off of Untapped over the weekend to the fundraiser that I'm doing for Prostate UK um, my 100 mile bike ride which as folk listen to this show if you're listening to it on the Thursday uh, I'm going to be doing that 100 miles over this coming weekend so 14th, 15th, 16th of May is is when I'll be torturing myself on on the bike. Uh, There's still plenty of time to donate any spare pennies you've got there'll be a link to that fundraiser link in the show notes Martin, what have we got coming up
1: next time? Well, as we alluded to, it's it's just us, Steve Um, but we are going to review the beers that we made I'm not going to say brewed but we made using the Greater Good uh, Pinter system Um, We've already tried one brew a few people may have heard about it already Um, but between this show and the next one we'll be putting a second beer in the fridge as well So, be interesting to see how that second one comes out.
0: Yeah, we'll be drinking that along with chatting about whatever it is we're going to chat about, catching up on news and and generally all the things that we normally do on opinions. Combi, thank you once again for joining us this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to the passion that you have for what you do. um, And and certainly your taproom has just suddenly gone right to the top of the list of the places <laughs> that i really want to visit so um hopefully i can make that a reality very soon but thank you so much for giving up your time thank you so much for the beers all that's left to say is cheers cheers cheers
2: thank you steve and martin cheers meds thank you very
0: much